We would like to acknowledge that this podcast meeting is being held on Aboriginal land, the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And we would like to pay respect to their eldest past, present and emerging and their multiple birth parents with children with disabilities. And today's episode, we have Benison O'Reilly and Shauna Smith, the authors of the Australian Autism Handbook. This podcast contains truth, laughter and the occasional F word, so it's not really suitable for children. Sometimes you just have to get your shits out. Shit, 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 shit. That's right. This is a language warning. Oh, shit. Mandy. Hello, Kate. Well, 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 Melbourne has decided to be cold. It's really cold. I've had really four cold. texts from Miss 12 saying, I'm cold, I'm freezing, <laughs> pick me up from school. I was like, okay, I didn't order the winter pants yet. Sorry. Well, yeah. It was it's beautiful cold. last week and now it's freezing. I know. Oh, oh we're back into the cosies. We are back. I, I actually turned the fire on, the gas yes, fire today. Mm. Yeah, my heater's on. And mm. I am recording from home today. If you hear the leaf blower across the road, there's nothing I can do. The no, guy is just didn't. literally blowing two leaves around <laughs> for the last 20 minutes. I've nearly been out there to say, excuse me, I'm doing a podcast, but I will not be that rude. We've got workers <laughs> around us too. So yep, I think okay. they might be, we live near a railway line and I think they're doing work over there. So there could be very loud noises in the background. We'll see what the sound engineer can, magic he can achieve. Yes, thank you. So we have two special guests today, fellow authors. Yes. Would you both like to introduce yourselves and say hi? Um, hello there. My, my name's Shauna and um, I, I am in Australia. I do come from Australia and I am Australian, but um, I do have a very broad Scottish accent. And in fact, the young gentleman who is my key sort of persona is was born in Edinburgh. Ah, ah wow. Beautiful. Mm. <gasps> oh, thank you. Hi, and I'm uh, Benison, one with the unusual name. It means a blessing if you're interested oh, anyway. So it's uh, a, um, so my surname's O'Reilly, but, but I'm definitely Australian by birth. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, and, uh, yes, uh, author and uh, medical writer when I'm not being an author. So, yeah. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Big, big Celtic representation today, being that my heritage is Irish. There's three quite Celtic names. Yes. Kathleen. Yes. I'm the most boring, but anyway. <laughs> well, my grandma was born in Glasgow, so I have oh, good on her. heritage as mm. well. Yes. And she always told me, she, you know, she moved here when she was three, but she was extremely Scottish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, well, so let's get started with our questions. Mm. Want to start, Kate? Yeah. So I'll start with you, Shauna. Um, do you have a favourite band or music that like pumps you up in the really good times or just lifts you up off the ground in the bad times? I do. Um, I don't listen to music all a lot of the time, actually. I never listen to it when I'm working. Mm. But the um, song that I just love and I use it um, when sometimes I feel I'm not really in touch with my emotions and I'm feeling all a bit rattled and I mm. think, okay, there's something going on. What is it? Anyway, it's called um, Caledonia and it's by Dougie McLean. Oh. And it's a very beautiful song about missing Scotland. And oh. it will just bring me 
to tears really anytime I hear it but I often need to be brought to tears I think yeah. when I'm all over the yes place, you know? true ah oh, beautiful. beautiful we will add That's that fine. to the Spotify list mm. <laughs> And yeah, so I guess with the two of us here, you have to put two songs yes, on. Yes, so. yeah, <laughs> love it. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about this question and, you know, um, I, I hope you don't mind this longer story, but I, when I was in my 20s, young thing, I backpacked around Europe like a lot of people, Australians do, mm-hmm. and I was so poor I only had four cassettes and uh, <laughs> on my, in my Walkman. So I used to listen to them. You would think I'd be totally sick of them, but... I've recently rediscovered Talking Heads and I'm still not sick of it after this year. And so particularly uh, Little Creatures and so that I think that's my song. I've been playing it on repeat, but obviously it must be such a good song that I'm still not sick of it after listening to it. Yeah, it must be. Um, So anyway, so that's what I would like to say, Little Creatures. Yes, thank you. We'll add that too. Mm. And what about did either of you win any awards in school? Start with Uh, you, Shauna. Win any awards? a lot, I hate to say. And it's ah! the first time I've been mortified. <laughs> you know, no, we love it. But, um, yes, I actually recently found one um, that I had won for English. Um, and I had had to go to the, used to get a little book token. You'd go off and choose your book and come back. Anyway, I was about 14 at the time and I had chosen the Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe 1979. Oh. <laughs> and I found it again and thought, I must reread it. <gasps> um, but anyway, both both of us are a bit academic, aren't we? Yes. Yes, yes. All my awards were academic, no sport. And unfortunately I went to a very sporty sporty high school. So um oh, did I think you? the funniest one was I actually came first in sewing once, which I thought was funny because I was a terrible sewer, but I came first in the written test. So they still gave me first in sewing, even though I can't I was sew. gonna say, how did you come first in sewing? <laughs> I don't know. But it was a very unexpected award, but yeah. Lots of academic awards, no sport. Mm. You're right. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. And our favourite question, why are you a P? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm um, a P because um, 26 years ago I heroically gave birth to the most beautiful child. Um, <laughs> and I have listened to you ladies talking about your early days with your twins. I also have twins as well, oh, but I've yes. never had a sick baby. And I do realise that it was a blessing for me, you know, especially in later, all my maternal confidence was knocked out. Mm-hmm. But when he was born, my first child, this was in Edinburgh, he was nine pounds, he was big and fat. And I just thought that it was all a piece of cake at that oh, time. Yes. So um, he's 26 now. Um, and he was diagnosed when he was three with autism spectrum disorder, was what they said at the time. And uh, he's a beautiful young man. Oh, yeah, can't wait to hear about it. You did heroically give birth. I think I'm going to say that every time. I think so too. I, I, that is the phrase birth. of the day. <laughs> yes. <gasps> what about you, Benison? Ah, yes. Also a son, though. He's my youngest of three. So, um, yeah, he's uh, 22 and he's here at the moment making a lot of noise. So I might, if I disappear <laughs> to come up, be, you know, not be, being very pee-like and telling him to shut up. But anyway, but, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, he's the youngest of three. He has an autism spectrum diagnosis as well as ADHD. Um, yeah, and he was diagnosed similarly at age three. So mm-hmm. mm, There we go. Well. Mm-hmm. We are very proud to have two peas who've also written an amazing book in our yes. on our podcast mm. today. So I suppose maybe we should just try and do like a five minute 
backstory on each of you mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. we'll talk about the book because we want the peas to mm-hmm. get around this beautiful book. Yeah. So yeah. um maybe you Shauna like when did you come to Australia? Like how did you end up here? Yeah. Oh, well, uh, first of all, uh, I came when I was young, free and single when I left uni, which was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> it was the 87. Yeah. And I turned up with a typewriter, literally, oh. and um, snorkel. Um, and <laughs> That's I all you need, I've in. found. <laughs> yeah. um, so I had met some Australians around Europe and they seemed to be the most chatty and funny people. So I had one of those years working holiday visas, uh, but I got great jobs and I ended up I think I stayed for about four years and I got permanent residency, but I did go back to Scotland and I met my beloved in Scotland and he's still my beloved, beloved, which I think is a miracle, really. Yes, it is a miracle. um, So we met in Scotland and our first son was born in Scotland, but we knew we were going to head this way. Um, But when when Christian was three months old, we took him and lived in Karachi in Pakistan for a year. Wow. even back then, you know, when I look back, he had a lot of symptoms of autism, but I had no idea about anything. Mm-hmm. And then we turned up in Australia when he was um, one and a half or one and a bit. And then I very quickly had another baby and then everything fell apart, especially mm-hmm. my mental health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been here ever since. So that was 98. Um, and yeah, we've been here since then. And then I did have twins late in the day. Um, and all of my family, I think I should say, have got neurodiverse things going on. You know, yes. we've got ADHDs and this and that. But um, I've got to say only Christian has got the full diagnosis. Um, mm. But in lots of ways, he's also the jolliest. Yes. So it's interesting. I mean, really, now with an older child, I think I have got a big handle on all the positives yeah. Of that milder end of the spectrum. Yeah. Or a strength based sort yes. of look at things. So yes. true. Yeah. 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 Yep. <sighs> so that's how you ended up here because you yeah. came with a typewriter, which is rather fitting. <laughs> and a snorkel. <laughs> came with a typewriter. It was and the snorkel, it was mainly um for the swimming and the diving and the snorkel. I just I had a swim down at Manly this morning, saw two oh. massive wobbegons. Wow. Um, but I just, I do love Australia. I do love oh. Australia. And I think it's a wonderful place to live. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yes, yes. Not quite the lilting accent, one would say, but it is very beautiful. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, Benison? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, so my son, say being the youngest, he's younger than uh, Christian's boy. So, um, yeah, so I he say he's the youngest of three boys. My oldest is twenty nine next week, actually. So um, my older sons, my middle son's got an ADHD diagnosis as well, um, and my older son's got a uh, probably anxiety. I call myself a triple A rated because <laughs> yeah. I've yeah. ADHD and autism sort of stuff. So, um, but you know, so yeah, no sort of uncomplicated parenting experiences. I don't know if anyone has them do this. No. <laughs> so, not, in, not, in this, not in this Not in the pay world, no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, um, but I'm sort of embarrassed because I'm, I'm a medical person, like I'm a pharmacist originally and my husband's a doctor, but, you know, we had this son that had, you know, when I think about it, quite you know, obvious signs of autism, um, but we were sort of in denial. I just think we really didn't know anyone with autism. So yeah, even though we had two older children and there was all these signs there, we just sort of thought it was going to come good. And 
I, I took him to a pediatrician at two because he wasn't speaking and he didn't think at that stage it was autism or, or he wasn't prepared to call it that young. And I suppose this is, we're talking about um, 2004 now, so it was yeah, quite yeah. a while ago. I think people, they're more confident to make early diagnosis now. Um, but, yeah, you know, I was thinking about this really, it's really weird. I worked in this office in a pharmaceutical company and the woman in the office next door, I kept worrying about Sam and then I'd go into her and talk to her and she said, oh, my son does that as well. And so yeah, I'd go away. Yes. You know, and then, of course, you know, what the punchline is years later I ran into her at an autism event and the reason her son did the same things as my son was the fact he also had autism and, and we were in the next office to one another. So anyway, so, yeah, so eventually um, at three, because he wasn't playing probably with toys, um, uh, he had a little bit of language by then, but not a lot. Um, the pediatrician then changed the diagnosis to autism. And then, you know, even though I'd sort of had this bad year of not knowing and thinking there was something wrong, I suppose still with that diagnosis, you get that sort of crushing blow and especially... Around that time, as Shauna would testify, so a lot of negative oh. stuff around. You know, a lot. It wasn't a lot of, you know, as I say, parent-friendly resources at yep. all. Mm. And by professionals, even though there's some wonderful professionals in the world, they still, if they didn't, weren't a parent, they didn't realise how phrases can be uh, and talking about futures and things like that could just crush the parents. Oh, mm, yes. They were giving this hopeless scenario sort of stuff. And I I think they're getting better at that, but I still think that there's that way that they just don't, if they don't see it from the parent's point of view, they can sort of phrase things in a way that even though they might think they don't sound that bad, come across crushing to the parent from mm. the other. Mm. Yes, yes so, for sure. So oh, gosh. true. And I think. Tell us. Uh, yeah, go, sorry, you, go ahead. No, you go, Mandy. No, I was going to say, tell us how you met each other. When did you meet each other? Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that was um, good. So we were in a parent support group in Sydney and, um, uh, I, I remember meeting Benison and her husband, and so Sam being a few years younger, they came in. But I remember thinking, oh, they know what they're doing, <laughs> you know. Ah. And I think one of the reasons <laughs> that I really tapped into Benison was that I had, in the absence of a lot of advice, mm. help and support, and certainly no financial support, I had gone a bit mad mm. and I was trying every alternative thing under the sun. Yeah, and right. I do look at myself and think I was not very mentally well at that time. Mm. And I got tapped into all sorts of conspiracy theories and I was obsessed, you know. Yeah. And I don't look back at that with any pride. I feel very sad for the person I was. And I think if there had been clear pathways, I might not have been so mad. Yeah. Yeah. But because Benison and her husband were medical people, I remember saying to them, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And very slowly and kindly, they sort of dragged me into having an understanding of evidence based yes. medicine and just evidence-based everything so I always felt that they were very patient with me um, and, and now I'm a reformed conspiracy theorist you know, so <laughs> and I just can't be bothered with any of it no. yes. but I, I do think I did a lot of things early on that I like to think I might not have done if the doctor had given me more than a piece of paper with speech therapy and OT on it come back in three years you know and that was yeah. really not good. Well, mm. and I think I know we had our first diagnosis, I think it was 2012, the boys were six, and I didn't tell anybody and I didn't want the school to know because of the shame associated with it. 
which I am ashamed of now because I'm so proud and I think they're the most awesome children. And I was always proud of them, but I didn't want people to judge them and I didn't want people to put a a negative spin on their awesome personalities. But I know for me, once I start, I remember talking about it at book club and the next day two members of book club turned up with two different books. One was that fed up by Sue Dengate, like telling me that it was all um, preservatives. And the other one was the gut health thing that was going around at the time that could cure everything if you just had some, I don't know, kombucha. So I thought, oh, I have to be careful who I tell because I actually was more evidence-based and I was like, I don't believe this, but it's just being rammed at me and they're going to think, well, she didn't even bother trying anything. And then you straight away go into a spiral of, do I have to fix my child? Is my child broken? And it's a terrible place to be as a parent. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it is difficult. And sometimes even as a person with evidence base, you know, I've never tried any of the special diets for Sam, um, you know, and people, you know, even out again at this doubt, well, maybe mm. there's something in this, but, you know, I just have to look at the evidence. And, and also I know now from a lot of my friends who have tried the diets that it made, you know, that scientific term diddly squat difference to their children. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, as well, but, um, you know, I've, we, I'm obviously encouraging him to have a healthy diet to the extent that he's now very diet conscious. That doesn't stop him eating McDonald's, but he does yeah. only has it once a week now and things like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean. But um, yeah, I don't, obviously a healthy diet's important. But this sort of quick fix thing, I, I think our friend Nicole Rogerson made, made you know said, well, why would anyone do these ridiculously horrible intensive therapies for hour, hours and hours every day for? For years, if you could just fix it by you know, changing their diet or giving them a pill or a supplement yeah. and things like that, no one would do these things if there was an easy oh, fix. Yeah. Now we don't even talk about fix, and I suppose no. that's um, the the change in the autism handbook from when we wrote it in two thousand and eight, when that still was like a hope for some parents that even mm. through therapy that they would sort of lose the children would lose their diagnosis, and mm. I think we've got the whole victory on that now and we don't talk about that we talk about in embracing your child with all their wonderful works and Mm. the best life as an autistic person I think that's one of the biggest changes in the book and um you know that we've some of the language less about the content in some areas like the scientific content was more about the language and how we thought about it even that was the journey for us I think Sean and I don't know if you feel that way that we had to move move to that space as, as well and of course, we've got to thank a lot of the autistic advocates for that these days for us right. So you wrote the initial book in 2008, was that right? Yeah. 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 No, yeah. We wrote yes. it in 2007. It was published. 2008, yes, yeah. Yeah, got it. So how did you come, How did, who said let's write a book? Well, I'll tell you that story. So <laughs> when my son was diagnosed, it was the year 2000, it was a terrible year for me, and I was really not very mentally well at all at that time. But I had uh, worked in television before and I'd always wanted to write a book. And I pitched a book called Sydney for Under Five to Pan Macmillan. So, and they liked the idea. Uh, There was an Edinburgh for Under Fives. And I just thought, oh, I'll do this Sydney for Under Fives. And um, so they said, oh, that's a good idea. Now, the reason I had been looking at all these places to take your kids was that Christian used to run away from me all the time. Yes. And so I became an ex. I love to go to new places, um, but it was quite tricky with him. So I needed to know all the fenced playgrounds. And so I got to know them all. Anyway, 
I met this wonderful publisher called Jane Curry, and we were both six months pregnant with our next baby. And I actually had to phone her up when I was doing that book and say, oh, my son's been diagnosed and I, you know, I don't know what to do and I'm going to have to put off doing this book for a year. Anyway, I did that book. And then later, so we, Jane and I kept in touch, a friend of hers, so years later when things had settled down, like at least five or six years later, um, she phoned me up because a friend of hers at school had a son who was running away and getting highly distressed um, and she couldn't go for a coffee, take him to see her husband. So I really related to that because Christian was jet propelled, you know, and he mm. never played with toys and things like that. And anyway, our friend was very distressed. And Jane said, well, you've got to meet her. We're going to go out to dinner. So I met her. We went out to dinner and Jane said, we've got to do that book we've been talking about. So a guide for parents. And honestly, my first words were, I'm just going to phone Ben. <laughs> because I knew that I was good at interviewing people and I could get stories. And I had my own story. But I also knew that I needed or we needed to do something that was really reliable. Mm. So I phoned Benison yes. and said, do you want to write a book? Yes. So that was then. Um, but this new edition is pretty different. Um, but it really came out of parental distress, you know, people yeah. needing support mm. and advice. Because mm. um, there weren't even in those days great websites. Like there are good websites now and there's the NDIS. Yeah, and there was no Facebook we or anything, you know. No, no or adults no, no. with uh, autism were, talking about were. their lives. So we couldn't look no. to them and say, no, no. can you, no, can no. we hear from you? Yeah. How should, you know, we just were yeah. literally going along well, with actually, no clue. The, yeah. The first book I ever read was called um, Thinking in Pictures by Temple Grandin. And it mm. was absolutely fantastically mm. helpful for my son because he also sought a lot of that um proprioceptive inputs mm -hmm. as I realized so she she was a great um help in mm. books but now we do we do have good things but we when Benison and I were writing that book I remember there there was some funding announced called helping children with autism and I remember us talking to each other on the phone and crying because mm. we were so happy that parents were going to get some support mm. um financial support because before that you know if you if you didn't earn enough money to pay for your own speech therapy, which thank God our families could both do, or whatever therapy you were going to do, mm. there was almost nothing available. Mm. It was shocking. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I remember being offered like half a day in a preschool. You know what I mean? Like you know, and my son was, you know, um, like she was hyperactive and not really mm. talking, and you know, really like like it would have just been. You know, I just took him along. He spent the whole time running away and emptying out the toy boxes and things like that sort of stuff. And that's what I was offered as an initial, you know, um, through the autism um, associations and things like that. That, you know, wasn't their fault. They just didn't have enough funding and things like that. So it was going to make no difference. So eventually we had to do a home program and spend a small fortune of money on it. But uh, I don't regret that money. But it was, you know, completely you know, uprooting our lives. I mean, yeah. quitting my job and things like that. But... The difference being, of course, as Sean said, we could afford it. The parents can't afford it. And uh, yeah. my husband still sees my husband. We work, uh, my husband works in a sort of low, uh, low socioeconomic uh, area of town. And, you know, there's still lots of parents out there struggling with autism and things like that. Even the only guy, yes. I mean, you actually have to have a certain amount of resources and support to actually navigate the end of it. You really do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It's super yeah, challenging. So, mm. 
Let's talk about the new edition. Can you mm-hmm. tell us some of the things that you put in? Did you take things out? What does that? What does a new edition look like? Well, as I mentioned, we've changed quite a lot of the language, but then, of course, we did actually include a very short chapter, but quite important chapter about the change in language in there mm-hmm. uh, because of the fact of the new diversity movement, which mm-hmm. I'm sure uh, your mm. listeners will be well familiar with. Mm. Um, mm. So, the, the, you know, talking about, you know, the fact that the the DSM diagnostic criteria is like the medical model of autism and everything's about deficits and it's not a strength-based. Mm. And so that can be very dispiriting for parents to get a nice report telling them what's wrong with their child, everything that's wrong, everything mm. they can't yeah. do. And so now we're moving to this more... I mean, what the disability advocates will say when you have a social model yeah, of disability where, um, yeah. you know, society, we need to get society to change. Um, mm, mm. Um, it's barriers, whereas uh, I think uh, what most people would look at was more uh, that middle model where you want to give your child help and support to um, navigate the world but also address those um, barriers. And for me, I think school's a big one where there's still a lot of issues, a lot of barriers for children. Um, So, yeah, but, you know, so obviously the neurodiversity, not looking at wanting to cure children, um, embracing the strengths of autism, all those things that are really... That, that's the big thing that's changed in this book. And also the terms, as we say, a high-functioning and low-functioning autism. And it's still, I know, a bit of a, a tick to have to get out of um, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that uh, because, as I say in the book, you know, the term high-functioning minimises the challenges of, of, uh, of those individuals and yes. low-functioning just uh, basically minimises the strengths of, of mm-hmm. those yes. people and also sort of throws them a bit on the scrap heap if you're sort of labelled with that that term, which is a dreadful term as well. So, yeah. you know, they now talk about spectrum being more, I think that, you know, as in people will have strengths and, and uh, challenges in different areas and you can't. So I, that was a, a big area we changed um, in this book. Also around um, autism and girls, once again, I yeah, think you yes. probably come across that a lot now. And so I've got a chapter in there about recognising that because it's these girls who are um, have language um, and normal sort of intellectual development that gets through to school and before they're diagnosed and mm. um, then end up in a dreadful time in their teenage years. So um, because of the fact they're misdiagnosed with everything. And so, of course, we have a lot of those role models out there with um, um, Grace Tame, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, awesome. Amazing. Um, yeah. And, and all these sort of people out there are now talking Incredible. about it. So I hope it's going to be a change for them as well. So there were two areas. The other area I added in was a big uh, chapter on co-occurring conditions. Yes, yeah, so I've circled that because I was like, this is mm. what I wanted. <laughs> I did, I did, yeah, yeah, I've got like, a big circle around it because I'm like. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, because oh, I think that's the yeah. way they're framing it. You know, there's autism, but how can you have autism and all be so different? Well, it's a lot of it depends on what else is going on. It's autism plus and no one has just autism pretty much. Everyone has autism plus. And so, mm-hmm. and so my son would have autism plus ADHD, which makes new challenges. He also has a sort of a, a language disability. It's not a, a you know, a significant one. He sort of talks all the time, but, you know, I can see sometimes. So all these things add add mm. up to make his challenges bigger than someone who um, has aut- autism without those things, but then they will probably have autism and anxiety, which isn't, yeah. as you know. Yeah. So it's all, you know, it's all those different things. And, um, yeah, even the physical things like having, um, you know, 
tummy problems and things like that. So they're all in there. So that was the big addition to this book. Um, and so that were the main ones. Intellectual I, I, disabilities. I What's that? Intellectual. Intellectual disability. disability. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course, that is it, it is when you get autism plus an intellectual disability, those kids automatically are going to have more challenges mm. um, and need more support. And you um, talk and about so that. And so that's, I think that, that yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I know that some people still don't like the DSM, but at least it is framing in the sense of, you know, now how much support you need rather than through mm. pigeonhole. That person needs more support than others. So, therefore, um, yeah. So, um, so if you have autism plus, um, in touch disability, you're immediately going to need more support than a, a, an individual mm. without mm. Uh, formal support, I suppose. Uh, as I say, you can still have a lot of challenges, you know. Uh, but, um, yes, so I think that's, yeah, so I think that was the area, yeah, the co-occurring conditions, autism in girls and and uh, the language were the main things I changed. The other, the other chapters were more updates, some of the new therapies that have come mm. out as well, but, more updates and as I mentioned somewhere else it was like the medical thing about medications and things like that all I did was add in melatonin nothing's changed in that wow. area since then. nothing significant like you know there's been lots of mm. teasers but they've all mm. fallen at the last hurdle and uh, so I think we need to uh, possibly move on from that sort of where it may be it may be down the track but then we don't know. I, I'm always open to those ideas, but of um, mm. anything, not to cure autism, but to, at least to you know alleviate some of the some of the challenges as well. So, mm. um, but that's my where my main contribution was, and I'll leave. I'll move over to Shauna now for her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we put in some new chapters and my favourite one we put right at the front and that's the advice from autistic adults. Yes, So awesome. I looked after that one in, in that I was the person that emailed lots of people saying, could I interview you or could mm. you write a little something? And then people were so kind, you yeah. know, um, and, and and then they sent something and then all, really all I had to do was either type up the interviews or edit um, and then put them in order. So, but... Um, really pleased with that chapter because I think the parents need insights into why their kids are doing things you know I had no idea why my son he had spent years talking to himself in the mirror he still does (laughs) occasionally but you know I didn't know why he was doing it and or walking on his tippy toes or all sorts of things so we have a bit in there um just about stims so please explain these autistic adults I said can you explain are you stimmed when you're a child and do you still do it and what's it for? And that was really helpful. Mm. Um, and then we also put in a wee bit um, just saying, uh, you know, what what's your advice to parents if they think they might also have some of these traits? Um, and, you know, that, so there's a lovely quote in there about that. Um, and then we also have the NDIS chapter, which um, yes. for some reason I ended up doing, I don't know why, Ben, I'm sure you would have done it better. But anyway, um, I did that. What a responsibility, though, because you're really trying to say to people, it's going to be all right. This is the beginning. It's called Getting Started. I interviewed lots of families about how they got started and how it worked, because, of course, I had never used it um, or had never been involved with it with a child. Mm. So, you know, and some people have great stories and some people it works really well and others were not happy. Yes. And then we talked about the sort of change that happens when kids go to school. So I've got the, this is it. And I really recommend people to get to know the website really, really well, to ask for help when they need it. 
you know, um, because it is pretty difficult um, to navigate. But I think also um, I hope the advice is in there is to just get started. It won't be perfect, but it's yeah. going to be helpful. That's you what know? Andy says um, all the time. Mm. Yeah, just yeah. get going. It's not going yeah, to be yeah. the perfect first year plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And then there's a beautiful, so then I sort of wrote that and then I talked to somebody who advised on early childhood and I asked some professional people for their input. And at the end, there's a long section um, from a lady called Dr. Nancy Sadka, who works at the Olga Tennyson Research Institute. So, and she has got two boys who have um, high support needs. And, you know, I actually think that rather than talking about support needs we should think of it more as people deserve a lot of support yeah. Yeah. you know that, that families they they need the support but they also deserve it you know oh, that makes me want to cry whatever mm. is going on i know yep. makes me want to cry yes, too. Mm. yes. and it's a and much kinder way to talk come. about it yeah and yeah. yeah. um, her boy so she manages um for her boys a substantial amount of money and she just has all this really practical advice but she had also talked about how good it was for her to go back to work and she's working in autism so you know so she had been able to manage her boys they were getting great support she could go back to work so I loved putting that bit at the end yeah Um, and then we have a chapter the chapters which we just updated and about um, taking care of yourself which I think most mothers are crap at. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, Benison's very... one of the few people I know who actually um, could look after herself. Whereas oh, everybody that makes else is going mad. Selfish. Selfish. I'm sorry. No, no, it doesn't. no, it doesn't. I just no, think it, it was, You know, you often say, "Well, he was my third child, and I knew." Whereas I just killed myself, and and then that that wasn't good for anybody at I all. I know, but so, you're in it. And I often think, so we've got this chapter with why it's a good idea to look after yourself. We've got a section about your relationships changing. Um, and then we've got a dad-to-dad section, yeah, which we've got new dads awesome. to write for. And then um, the chapter, which we called Where Are They Now?, which is all stories um, about families. So sometimes the parents are writing on behalf of their adult children when yep. there's a situation like that. And then we've also got some delightful young people whose parents wrote about them in the past, uh, but who wrote their own stories. Ah, oh, so, yeah, beautiful. And really, so clever. They are I really like so it. smart. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, when I my son's got a pretty significant language disorder, and I did say to him, would you like to be involved? And he said, Mum, said, I'm a private citizen. And I thought, that's <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and you've got well, a whole buzz off the- um, chapter about like gender diversity, which I think is yeah. really, really. Um, I just like the way that you were like, your, your child's just a child. They're going to work out who they are. And I just think that goes for everyone. Like, I think we get a bit obsessed with it when we are parents of children with disabilities or neurodivergence or whatever phrase you want to use. But isn't that true for everyone that we work it out at some point? And um, yeah, I just, anyway, I just really liked that chapter. Thank you. We thought it was necessary to put it in because some of these children identify quite young. And uh, now we were thinking about this, you know, uh, the book is geared towards parents in new diagnoses, uh, anything up to sort of early teens or even uh, because of, you know, what, uh, but by the same token, you know, they, they can't just assume uh, that, that that 
that the gender diversity won't come out quite soon after diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, if they're still dealing with this idea of the child having autis- autism and then there's new diagnosis, or I shouldn't call it diagnosis. It's yeah. Expression you know of themselves mean. comes yes. out, um, you know, that, that we just wanted the parents to be forewarned. Um, mm-hmm. So actually I think, as I say, interesting, one of the dads to dads who's actually a rugby league player um, in his story, I think, mentions, doesn't he, Shauna, that one mm-hmm. of his children is this, um, mm-hmm. gender diverse as well. So if they're rugby mm-hmm. league players can uh, embrace their um, their gender diverse children, I think mm-hmm. that's really a good role model for, for us all. Oh, so definitely. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Mm. And it's probably one of those things that um, parents younger than us are going to be so much better at because, you know, the younger generation doesn't blink an eye at what you are, who Mm. you are. As long as you're kind, they don't really give a shit. Um, But I think (laughs) for older parents or for parents who've been parenting for a while, it can be another thing of, oh, how do I do this? You're a bit dear in the headlights. So it's just really nice because I know it's a really big part of our community. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, yeah. I think, and I think parents still, even though, and I, I've been talking a lot lately about how much things have got better over mm. the twenty years since my son was diagnosed, twenty odd years. Um, you're still, as a newly diagnosed parent, you probably don't know many people with autism, yeah. or you might know about it from quite um, capable people you've seen in the media, or you might have watched Love on the Spectrum, but you don't really know anything. And there you are, right at the beginning, thinking help help yes. I don't know mm. I'm feeling I'm sure like I felt as if I was a crap mother mm. that had let my child down I thought there was something wrong with me and that's mm. why I wasn't relating to me didn't I mean he didn't know what I was saying as it turned out but I just thought I bored him he wouldn't look at me you know so I, I was that feeling that high as a parent mm. um when he was diagnosed and I'm sure lots of parents still are and so even though we don't want to be negative about the experience of having a child with some sort of difference at the beginning I think we and you on this podcast and in the community are wonderful at this you need to shower people with compassion yeah and and not be judgmental of anybody's no. reaction at first because mm. you don't know their story you know no mm. no and I mean mm. you can I have friends who were extremely disappointed when they had a child of a certain gender, right? Which, mm. you know, now they're like, how how ridiculous was I? And I was probably mm-hmm. secretly rolling my eyes at them at the time. But, you know, so we, we all have this view of what our life's going to be, what our children's lives are going to be. You know, whether it's you grew up in a farming town and your parents want you to take over the farm, whether your parents are academics and they want you to become an academic, we all have it. We have all these... Um, I don't know, preconceived ideas of our families. We don't even know we've got them. They're just sort of written somewhere imaginary in Mm. us. Mm. So Mm. when you're confronted with a diagnosis that you don't think fits in that neat little box, you have to look Mm -hmm. at yourself like it really brings the walls down. And as we all know, it's amazing later on. And you're like, I'm so bloody glad I brought those walls down. But at the time, Mm -hmm. yeah, we just have to be so gentle with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. 
Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. I've written down here about double empathy. Who oh, that, wrote that? that? Yes. That was me, yes. So can you, can you explain to me about, about that double notion empathy. of double empathy? Um. Double empathy, you know, I read about it, um, um, I think it was uh, Steve Silverman from Neurotribes wrote about it once and I've, I've seen it elsewhere. It's it's about the issue that we expect autistic people to come and change their behaviour and their social behaviour to fit in with our neurotypical behaviour rather than looking at it as being that we have a language uh, barrier there mm. and we should be meeting them halfway. So it... it there's an empathy problem on both sides. You know, there was always this argument that people with autism lacked empathy, but the empathy problems on the other side of we immediately expect people with uh, autism to, to change their behaviour, their social behaviour. We do social skills training so they fit in with our viewpoint. Why aren't we looking at that, reaching them halfway? Mm. Which sort of gave me food for thought because of, I have um, pursued social skills training with Sam and, and as a matter of mm. fact, I've just just done the, the peers um, young adult course, which I think is an excellent course and because it's evidence-based, I was very keen to do it and it's very intensive uh, group-based um a program um, they have for all age groups. They have the, the, the uh, younger child ones and teenagers and then young adults one. And it's really good. Um, he, he's done, just done that course with some other uh, other young males and they um, role play and discuss things. And I and so then I'm sort of thinking about this double empathy, thinking here I am trying to train him to behave in this sort of neurotypical way rather mm. than just embracing autism. But then I had read elsewhere, you know, that perhaps it's just giving him the information and that's why I look at it now. I'm giving him this information with each what he chooses to do with it is another matter, but, um, you know, at least he might under... It's like almost, as I say in the book, it's like teaching someone a foreign language. They're never going to be, you know, if they... Uh, they will never become as proficient at it as someone's a, a native speaker, but they might be able to understand things from the other perspective as well. Um Still saying that we should become, we should be considering that as well. Now I'm always learning now to try and see things as much as possible from his point of view. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I thought it was the important thing was coming through was that you. I've found that 
even though we do all these social school training, that you will usually end up find out that your children on the spectrum will end up becoming friendly with people on the spectrum, uh, not necessarily because they're both on the spectrum, but because they will have shared interests. And yes. that's the, and because if they're both on the spectrum and they uh, don't worry about all those social niceties like asking how was your day and how are you feeling and lots of stuff and just get on to talk about their special interests and no one cares, well, that's the best sort of friendship where they just accept, yeah. both accept each other for one, one another. I mean, my son, and I don't think he'd be embarrassed about that, he's, you know, he's 22 but he still gets loves the wiggles and, yeah. you know what I mean, like and. And I took him along to the Wiggles reunion concert ah. in, in uh, it, uh, it was at, um, you know, Homebush Stadium mm. in this huge stadium. In little COVID, I wore a mask the whole time sort of thing, but, you know, I was in the mosh pit with him. Oh, the best. <laughs> I, think, I think about there was a lot of neurotypical young adults there, but there was probably about 20% of them I think were probably neurodiverse. Yes. And yes. afterwards... He disappeared on me, much to my annoyance, and went off and he'd met all these friends that yeah. he'd met online who all oh. loved the Wiggles and they were all there and, you know, he that was his connection with these people. So, and you know, and I'm sure the Wiggles are very well aware that they have this sort of cohort of yeah. young adults that love them. And I think it's that harking back to you, you things that you found pleasant in a, in a, yes. um, a less challenging time, you know, I and mean, we all yes. really discuss those things as well. But so, you know, finding your shared interests. So you can't just shove two autistic people together and expect them to get on. If they've got haven't got shared interests, they'll probably not got in very well, I say. But um so you know, Sam has these sort of lots of different interests. And Shauna's son in particular has some very interesting interests and I shouldn't call them special interests, I should call them passions. I think yes. I'm still learning all the lingo. <laughs> of course we are, every day learning the lingo, mm. every day. And we are me. guided yep. by other people to tell us what that yes. language means yes. and if it hurts <laughs> or it doesn't hurt. But I think what's really interesting is in the beginning parents, and I'm guilty of this, are trying to force our children to play with these people or do these sort of activities or go and play basketball even though they bloody hate it. It's a noisy stadium, the floor squeaks, people are yelling at you all the time. I don't want to do it but, you know, I wanted them to do it. But then myself as an adult, when I had twins as my fourth and fifth children and I'd had three babies, I was like, um, I need to find some people that understand what this is like. So I already yeah. had parents that are friends that were parents, but I was really drawn to the twin mums and then I was drawn to the twin mums who'd had premature babies and then the people that had had a diagnosis. And I just think we do it. We find what we like in life. <laughs> we course. all do it. So why as parents are we not like, of course our kids are going to do it? Mm. Yes. Actually, that makes me think about this um speech therapist once met my son um when he was uh, maybe like eight or something nine or something and he was just starting to get interested in rugby league mm. and cricket and and he he was very active you know so he was running when he was 10 months old and sport was great for him and he liked it so he didn't I've got other children who've got um hypersensitivity mm. so they would get upset by somebody running into them yes. whereas rugby for him was the bee's knees you know <laughs> anyway she did say to me oh she said well that's great that he likes sport because as an Australian bloke that's all he really needs oh. to chat to oh. other people and you know she's been a hundred percent spot on because he can <laughs> talk about the manly seagulls yeah. he could meet anybody and see what they're wearing and he's 
so interested in it. Um, and so he goes and sees the seagulls with um, his friends. He's got a great mixture of friends um, of whom he is entirely non-judgmental you know yes he, he doesn't ever say oh this is somebody and I met him through something you know he just he's a Seagulls fan yes he's not and so sport is great but of course for somebody who doesn't like a lot of noise and shouting and banging into people it's not great mm. um but I thought that was he was really lucky with that because he did go to mainstream school and um so he chatted to people about yeah. music and or he probably didn't even chat to them. He just bonded with them um, over sports and rugby league and then over music. And then he's massively into heavy metal. And that is a wonderful community of yes. people who don't need to chat very much because yeah. they they are so passionate. You know, it's not right. just him. There's loads. Of, um, and they're very, very inclusive. So um, he's now got a very full life, I would say. Um, and... What I often like to say is that he loves the things he loves mm. so much, the joy that he gets from him, the sense of self. Mm, um, yes. that I, I still, I think I do too many things not very well. And yeah. he uh, just a few things that you love, if you can do that, is a wonderful thing. So so he's, he's not able to support himself fully, you know, still um, his accommodation is provided by us and he works three days a week. But there's just so many beautiful things about him. And when he went to a post-school programme, he met loads of other young men like him, which he hadn't at school, yeah. you know. So I did sometimes think, oh, maybe that was, if only he'd been able to meet more people like him. And they all used to go out together. What a bunch of beautiful, oh, beautiful the young best. men they were. Mm. They would never have hurt anybody. No. They never said a bad word. No, nope, they're the me. best people to be around. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> So yes. quite an education for us, mm. for those of us who did win prizes at school. It is an absolute <laughs> education. Yeah, it really, really is. Indeed. Oh, can you tell us about the people that helped collaborate in the book? Yes. Yeah. So, well, there must be, I would say, about 40 different families who um, helped with it. Mums, dads, autistic adults. The professionals that we asked as well, Benison did more of that sort of requesting of specialist information. So I think that's always really important because although everybody's got a story and the more different stories you read, the more different voices you, you read in, in a book, the more you're going to relate to them and think that sounds just like me or mm. that child sounds just like me. And we didn't want it to be dry, did we, Benison? We always wanted it to have a lot of heart. Yes. So yes. that was good. But, but also the professional, you maybe could tell people about the professional people that you approached and how generous they've been as well as the families. Yes, well, I think, you know, the original book uh, in 2008, uh, I remember contacting, uh, as I say, I'm a, a medical writer. People don't understand what that is. I basically, um, I'm you know, originally trained as a pharmacist, but I, I actually uh, write uh, sort of like uh, educational uh, articles for uh, medical professionals or um, health professionals, but also now probably morphed into consumer writing, but consumer writing medical information. Um, so that was obviously ideal for writing the autism handbook mm -hmm. as well. But so I come, I look at the evidence and then translate it into an easily digestible way. So, of course, I had that model there from my professional life. So I thought I'll just approach all the leading experts in autism and ask them to help out. And, you know, and I yeah. remember 
pediatrician thought I was, a, you know, who's this nut jobs and stuff? Because, I mean, this is 2008 and I could have thought yes. I was one of these mad, mad women that wants to, you know, you know, stick needles in my children and, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. all those sort of weird supplements. But, no, but, I wrote a chapter and sent it to her and she went, oh, okay, this is all right sort of stuff and yeah. things. So that was, that was sort of what it went on to. So then I eventually got most of the some leading pediatricians and uh or some experts involved, um, psychologists as well, and people who wrote the guidelines, and they all were very generous with their time. So I just wanted to, I write it and then I send it to them, and then you get their clinical expertise and they just finesse it. Um, so some of the information that's in there now is still from, you know, where it hasn't been updated much, is from those people. That's why I should acknowledge them. But in this more recent book, we've actually I call them the young guns of autism, um, you know, the young up-and-coming researchers like um, Andrew Whitehouse and David Trimbach, who were heavily involved with the new guidelines, um, and uh, also uh, Josephine Barbero in um, in uh, that, that Olga Tennyson, who's the who's the leading researcher in um, early signs of autism, has developed a, a wonderful uh, sex. Um, I would call it screening. It's uh, called developmental surveillance because you know it's got the most accurate about um, surveillance for picking up. Um, ch- young children with autism as well. So, right. but it's very nice that two of them, like Andrew and Josephine, both said the first book they ever read about autism was the Autism Ham. Oh, I'm going to cry. On their passion, even as for researchers to work in autism. So that was so lovely. Even they. Oh, both. congratulations. So, um, you know, we gave them that nice, gentle introduction. And so, and that's what we found. We, we was bought, wrote this book for parents, but it was actually been bought by a lot of um, professionals mm. as well because it is a nice, easy, digestible, but reliable information, scientific information. And as an introduction for these people, um, or even if you're in one area of autism, like a speech pathologist, it gives you an overview of those other areas as well. So, yeah, so they were wonderful and so gentle with their time and, you know, they just... And I uh, came back with all this really, really helpful information. And I yeah. really think the intervention in the chapter in particular, uh, their input into that uh, really, really, really helped. Because that's one thing I probably should mention, you know, when we wrote the book um, in 2008, it was very much prescriptive. You meant to do 20 hours. Yes, of- it was full on. And now, you know what I mean, it's gone. Now they're saying, no, it should be individualised on yes. that child. And, sorry, not just individualised individualised on the child, also on the family, family as well. What that family can cope with, that someone who has one child and has lots of resources and doesn't have to work is going to be have a much more resources than someone who um, has several children and has to work and and uh, lives a long way from um, supports, you know, in regional areas and things like that. So they've very much moved towards what's right for your child and, um, you know, you may find you can do more, you may find that you can't do as much. So I, I really, that was a big area where they, the, these new experts gave us a lot of advice around that and found that really helpful. Yeah, and the acknowledgement that um, we don't have to change people anymore. Mm. That's know. right, that's so, right. So, so massive hooray. pressure taken off, obviously the most important thing of the child but also of the mother who's feeling harassed, yeah. harangued, and like yeah. I am doing something to my child that they hate and, yeah. you know, this is going against what my heart is telling me, but all these experts yeah. are telling me this. So, yeah, yeah. it's a huge, mm-hmm. I think huge thing. it's got to be fun, hasn't it? You've got mm. to make learning as much fun as it possibly can do. My son, who hardly said a word, but honestly, once somebody came and knew what they were doing, we all realised he could learn. It's just that nobody had known how to teach him. 
Mm. You know, so and it was an absolute education having my second son and watching how he just picked things up. Yeah. So when he was one, he couldn't talk, but he nodded his head and he shook his head. And Christian was four and he didn't know how to nod his head mm. and shake his head. But once you taught him, he, he could do it. So mm. it's it's not really clear cut. But some of, some of the um, helpful people as well um, were we decided to put in uh, short chapters about sleeping, eating and yes. toileting because those are yes. things that can take a long time. Yes, mm. the big three. The big three, they can actually wear you out as oh, yeah. well um, because the emotional distress of kids who don't no. eat and they're having to wash. So we've put those in with no, like there's no guarantees that, um, it's just to acknowledge that those yes. are big issues. And those oh, are really things are. that you're likely to need help with. Yes, yes. Um, but it, it's, it's a tricky old business, isn't it? Like you want to help your child become toilet trained because it will help them. But when they have um, delays then you don't want to push them so that they're miserable. No, you want no. to keep it a laugh and have a break. Keep it a laugh and have a break. Mm. But, I mean, I wish I'd known that at the time. Of course. But it's now the other same people with, know. Yeah, mm. yeah. And similarly with food, mm. you know, the pressure. Um, I mean, I remember yeah. the dietitian coming in at eight months old or whatever and telling me off for giving her rubbery cheese. I'll never forget that day. Mm. And but also yeah. now thinking, well, I just like wanted to eat. I wanted to be happy and enjoy food. Mm. Who cares if she eats the rubbery cheese? Who cares if she has nuggets every day? It doesn't mm. matter, mm. right? Yeah, it's a huge thing. There's a lot of shame around food, and we oh, talk yeah. about it nearly every episode so, in, in mm-hmm. any diagnoses. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's really interesting that I, there is a section in the book by written by um, a gastroenterologist, paediatric gastroenterologist, who's very, very rare, so specialises in children's, and who also has a son with autism. He's a young adult son. But I remember him uh, saying how, like, you know, he came across this young man who actually ate three foods. and mm. um, One was peanut butter, one was watermelon. I can't remember what the third one was. But when he actually tested all his, his vitamins and minerals, he was actually was fine yep. whatever he was eating was actually giving him enough nutrition and so it's you know what I mean so I think you know as I say I've my science background I've been conscious to sort of try and get my son to eat a variety of foods but I've also reached a point where there's certain foods where it's a no-go and I've got to respect his sensory totally. time and go totally. okay okay you've you can eat you eat enough that you get good nutrition now so yes. you know what I mean it doesn't matter mm. um um, actually, I said, read something really interesting the other day. It was really frustrating because it was on a blog, which is an American one, which I couldn't, uh, they seemed to have restrictions on copyright because I wanted to share it wi- yeah, yeah. widely. But whether you sort of said, look, why, this is a very, you know, an adult, a very you know, eloquent adult, adult saying, you know, why should I have to eat a different meal every day? You know what I mean? Like, I, I like it. It's one thing I don't have to, I don't have to think about, yes. you know. It's not bothering anyone else. Why should it bother you? And this, as I say, this was someone, we, you know, one of these very, uh, uh, you know, people who were out there in the world working and doing all these other things as well, um, mm. very functional. But they said, I don't, why should I? I oh. ate two wheat beaks every morning for 25 years. Yeah. No one was pulling me up. <laughs> <laughs> I just, Eve, you know, it's the one thing that I will say to people, I will die on this hill. You will not tell me about what my children or the young men now will bloody eat and you will not shame me and you will not shame them. It's an absolute no-go for me. Like when I finally mm-hmm. let go of it, which they were like eight or nine, it took me years, oh, the peace that descended across the household, mm-hmm. their body, mm-hmm. their choice. 
Mm-hmm. My daughter loves to tell me that. Mm. My body, my choice. <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> every day. <laughs> she will wear a Marvel T-shirt every day. Yep, my body, you know, my choice. Who cares? Yeah. And and I remember taking her out once and she was wearing these watermelon socks and I was just thinking I would never have let you wear them, you know. But then three people said, I love your socks. Yeah, and you're like. <laughs> and I was like, I am an idiot. Mm. Who cares what she wears? Yeah. People love yeah. what she wears. It automatically, if you're wearing a T-shirt with Groot on it from Marvel, people come up and talk to her. Yes, yes. Same yeah. with my son. He's got an amazing collection of band T-shirts. So yes. he goes out wearing, yeah. you know, a particular band. He'll just start chatting to people. Yeah, and yeah. you don't even, it's communicating. It's not even yeah. chatting right. the way that I chat. You no, know, but, but it's but wonderful. But communicating. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and feeling as if that they've got a, a real connection with somebody, which most people do want a connection, you know, of but not course. everybody wants a connection. No, you know. No. I did, and that was an issue for me because I thought, oh, he's not going to have any friends. Yes. I was more, actually, it was me. I was worried about, I'm not going to have any friends, but I didn't yeah. know that at the time, and I'm compassionate for myself. Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. So much compassion. Um, mm. mm-hmm. yeah. Is there, we could talk to you all day, mm. and I'm conscious <laughs> of the time. The book is out now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And so yep. is it in bookshops? Is it on your website? Yep. Where can it's people find big it? W. It's yes. Big w. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. They took an order for it. So actually, first hit the shops at the end of January. Big W has an order. It's in bookshops. It's on Booktopia. Awesome. It should be in libraries. Like that's the great hope that it'll get into libraries. Yeah. And um, and we we have a Facebook page. Right. Um, but we're not as good. You know, we're definitely not as good online as um you ladies are. Um, <laughs> I I really think that that community online is fantastic. Ah. It's the best. That you have, you know, really yes, important. Um, yeah. So I don't yes, think there is anything else. Is there anything? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, they've seen it in Dimix. And so, yeah, it should be hopefully around mm. uh, for people. But as I say, you can certainly get it online. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, and uh, it seems to be hitting a nerve because we've had it yes. quite. Yeah. Yeah. Good. It's, of course. It's, um, you know, it's. it's Sometimes I, I, when I started asking adults to write for me, I mm. thought, should we be actually getting adults to write this whole book? And mm. then autistic adults, and there were some who were great, uh, very articulate. Um, but, you know, it's for parents, so it's written by parents, for parents at a terrifically vulnerable time of their mm. life. And yes. we do want it to be a handholder. Yes. Um, but it's not just about us, honestly, they're... You'll yes, of course. Forty or fifty different voices in there, and all of them are pouring love out. You know, yeah. pouring that out and saying, "Don't worry, we've been there before. Yes. It's going to be all right. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's going to be all right, more or less." Mm. But, yes. but you have to change your way of thinking and mm. adapt in ways that you didn't think about. I don't know if you'll use it. Can I just tell you one wee story? Yeah. Yes. Um. So, um. One of the reasons I am very happy that my son was diagnosed is that um, a couple of years later, I looked around at my Scottish family and I thought, okay, who do we have here that has got this sort of genetics? And it's like this, who, isn't it? You're like, hmm. I know, yeah. Hmm. So I have a grandfather who was an engineer, very, didn't like loud noises. So I've got that. But also, a first cousin of mine, a bit older, um, 
I heard from my mum that he didn't talk till he was four. He used to bang his head against the cot a lot. Mm. Never got on that well at school. Was a wonderful artist. So when mm. I remember him as teenagers, I remember him being a fantastic artist. Mm. He managed to go to art college for about three weeks. And after that, went home. And he lived with his mother um, and didn't work. And he took, he was terribly anxious. The two mm. of them were mm. not necessarily that good for each other. He mm. took up drinking. Mm. and he was dead by his mid-50s. And I would bet you, you know, whatever you'd like to bet Mm. that he was on the spectrum. Mm. But he was on on the spectrum. He wasn't classically autistic. Mm. He's probably exactly like my son was, but nobody understood him. And it makes me so sad. So I will always be happy that we got this diagnosis and that our son did learn to do what he needed to do and... You know, he's oh. got his place in the world. Yes, usually in the mosh pit at a heavy metal concert. Yeah, good. <laughs> I also not a heavy metal, but I he can find me in a mosh. But the thing <laughs> is, I was a little bit hesitant about labels when my boys were first diagnosed. Before I realised the incredible gift for them. Right? Okay. Yeah. Sure. I'm their mum, and it made my life a little bit easier because I could go and do some research and I could work out that it wasn't parenting; it was personality and all these things. But they now own it and they're like, I am like this because of this and I'm so proud of who I am. Or sometimes they're not, like all teenagers, right? We all, I didn't like certain things about myself as a teenager. But without that, I, I, I just don't know how people manage. And I know there are mums and groups of people who are like, we don't want labels and we don't want, and I, if it's a person with a disability speaking, then I will listen. But otherwise I'm like, I think this is so powerful. It's something to be so proud of. It's a community that you can embrace and it allows you to know a little bit more about yourself. Exactly, yes. Mm, I'm a big label yeah. fan. And in the, physical, <laughs> in the physical disability world, labels get given very, quite like in my family quite early so there was mm. never a fight for mm. a label. Mm. So mm. I don't quite understand that journey either. Mm. Um, and I'm grateful that I could say straight away, cerebral palsy, right, yeah, yeah. you know, there, mm. and then and then there's a spectrum within that. Mm. Sure. Yeah. 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 Is, is there anything that we've missed that you want to tell the world about your book, about your families, about your friendship? Oh, uh, I think I've run out of things. I think I'm actually going to burst into tears. Oh, <laughs> Donna. so emotional. I yeah. Know. <laughs> no, so I, I think I need a cup of tea. Yeah. You yes. Do. There's you definitely. Do. I think after doing this, and what people yes. don't realise when they just listen is that we are sharing some really personal things. We're we're guarding what we say to respect our children and our friends and our partners. But actually it's quite tiring doing one of these. Yeah, I always tell everyone to be gentle on yourselves on today, Yeah, the rest of today. Not for the two of you who are going to some conference or something, but everybody No, 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 I've got to work in my car and drive two hours. I know. I'll try. You can be kind to yourself. Yeah, you can. I will. All right. Thank you very much. All right. It's been an absolute joy. I love your podcast. You've done a wonderful job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. We will tell the world about your book. Everything will be in our show notes. You can find everything about the two of you. And thank you for the contribution you've made into this world. You've Mm. changed the world by writing Mm. this book. Mm. You've given an Australian voice and that is something that you know, we're super proud of as well. Yep, yep. So congratulations and keep going. And you are women that are ahead of us. Mm. And so with older children, and so we always look to you as well. So mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah, thank All right. You. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks. Right. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Oh, it was lovely to meet Shauna and Benison. Oh, it really was. And you know, the front of the book might have a quote from Kate and Mandy on it. Yes, so. <laughs> I forgot to say that. You probably will have seen it if you've seen our Instagram or Facebook. Yes, but yeah. yes, which is so lovely to be asked. Who who do we think we are? We don't. We don't. <laughs> I just love meeting women that are on the road ahead. I do. And, you know, they've been doing this important work since 2008. And seeing how all of us have grown in that time. Yes, that's right. And to be gentle with ourselves. Impressive. If if you have a two-year-old, look how different we were then, how different they are now. Yes. Um, We we get there and I want to say, like, that's for all of our kids, not just kids with disability. Yeah. I was such a different parent when my big kids were little. Like I can't even yeah. recognise myself. So yeah, be kind to yourself. Yeah, be mm. kind to yourself. Mm. Yep. Mm. So this right. week uh, Mandy has a cry-laugh difference. This week I in do. my life has been, I won't go into it, but it's been very unusual. Lots of things. And lots and lots of things. And so my mind is full. The head miles yep. are going full tilt. And yep. so we're just going to hear Mandy's. Okay, so... I went to Ability Fest Yay! this weekend and did I cry? My mm. friend Di and I were standing together and we watched DJ Cooper up on the stage. Oh. We have known him since he was one years old. All our kids are the same age. We met on Essential Baby yep. and we saw, and I didn't cry until I saw Bron in the back yeah. of the stage. And I just thought, there's his my That's friend. His mm. That's his mum. There's my friend. And yeah. Di and I just standing there hugging, crying, just like, look at oh. her, our friend, and all she's been through. And mm. look at her son. Look at her and amazing just, son rocking I a know, whole festival. It was just incredible. Yes. Incredible. So it was tears of pride yeah. in both of them. And, joy. and then the siblings were on the stage, oh. gorgeous. Pepper and Woody and just, oh. Dylan, 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 you will never oh. know what you've done. I mean, I'm sure he knows, but. I don't know, though. I don't know. He's just and a I, powerhouse. And um, I saw him and I, yeah. I said, um, uh, Molly came with me and yeah. and she had some Special Olympics friends there and I said, let's go and say hello to him. So yeah. off we went and I just pushed him in front of him and he said, yeah. hi, Mandy. He remembered And that was you. lovely. Yeah, we had oh. a hug. And then, um, and then Molly didn't want to hug him, and he said, "It's okay, I know your mum." And so she went in. For a big hug. And then I got to saying, "This is my friend Chelsea, and she's going to Berlin with the Special Olympics national game. She's on the Australian team." And he yeah. said, "Kick ass!" Yeah. And I just thought, what a person! What a person down <laughs> there fr- in the mix. I, if, yeah, if only he could be Australian of the Year forever. Yes. Like, yes. it was incredible. If it comes to all your states, you have to go. I yeah. felt exactly the same feeling as I felt in Special Olympics in Launceston mm. and I just felt like imagine the world was like this all the time. And I think because everybody there was treated with such respect and Molly was a little bit overwhelmed at one stage and this woman next to her just put her arm around her and said, are you okay? Yeah. And then we and then we were hugging. Oh, and music festivals <laughs> is a place for I hugging know. people you don't know, it was right? That is beautiful. par for the course. But everybody beautiful. deserves to go to the music festivals. I and know. So, it yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Had a wonderful time. So, mm. yep. And um, I make a difference with that, of course, of but course. also we had our Special Olympics club games and that was a whole day of athletics and we met up with all our friends that were on Team Vic so we hadn't yeah. seen them. And so just having photos with Molly with her gang of friends. Yeah. And and now she's starting to write a um, – she wants to have an 18th and she's writing all their names. She uh, said, I've got 36 friends. And uh, if we hadn't have done that yes. Special Olympics as well, we wouldn't have this gaggle of amazing mm, people. Mm, mm. And so stay tuned for that 18th because she wants to play <laughs> the chocolate game. And I'm like, how are we going to do that with 36 people? <laughs> but we will. Yeah, and my will. laugh is Miss 12. 
and I'm going to play you something. She found this guy on Spotify. His name is The Odd Man who sings songs about poop, puke and pee. Oh, yeah. And what he does is he puts a song in with your name and poo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, it says Amanda, Amanda, poop, poop. <laughs> and then it says, and there's one for Kate. I'm going to, I'll have to just send it to you, yeah. the sound engineer. <laughs> uh, anyway, we put in everybody's name and it comes up pretty oh much anyone's name. So we found like Graham for my dad. Poop, poop, poop. We laughed for ages. So if you want a silly song about poo, Molly said she's going to listen to it when she has a tricky time in her tummy. Yeah. Um, that was just, we laughed for ages. You can basically put in anyone's name and he has made a song about poo what? for everyone's name in the world. I know. Who is he? What a goal in life to do that. <laughs> she said they were playing it at school with all their friends oh, right. and yeah, yeah. I just thought everyone with their phones, oh, these 12-year-olds, the yes. things they can do. Oh, well, much more than you and I will ever do. I know. Mm, anyway, mm, so that mm. did make us laugh a lot. So, <laughs> right, we will right. let you be, people. Give us a review, five stars, please. Yes, I'm loving reading those. Yeah, thank thank you. you so much. Everyone who's taken the time to give us reviews. Mm. Four years on. That's amazing. It is so amazing. thank you. We're all incredible. And um, we will be back next week. We will. Okay, okay. Bye. bye.